Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where we talk about movies. So, um, yeah, let's talk about some movies. Yeah, and we're keeping up with our director's spotlight on Tarantino this month, and we're talking about his least profitable movie? Yeah, it's weird, because we did his first film, and now we're doing his least successful film, you know? Because this one is also the next in the timeline of movies we've picked. Yeah. And I could definitely see why this one didn't break the box office. Yeah, for being a Grindhouse movie, I thought we were going to get a lot more action and suspense. Not really. No, not not really at all. It's a much more tamer movie. Yeah, this is... um. Well, I guess we'll tell everybody what movie we're talking about. We're talking about Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. A low-budget grindhouse send-up to movies he really enjoyed. Uh, this movie comes out in 2007. This is, I think, his fifth movie? And, yeah, do you, you want to say it, or should I? I'm going to let you, because this is your month, and you also kind of broke down the lineup of how we were going to do things this month. So, I think you should say it. Yeah, this movie ain't that good. No, I mean, the action is really good. Um, Kurt Russell, I mean, yeah, Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Russell's amazing. Best part of every movie he's in. Yes. And, you know, we have the Tarantinoism, the needle drops, we have the snappy dialogue. The aesthetics in the movie. Very 70s aesthetic, which goes in line with what the movie is, is about. It's supposed to be a modern interpretation of what the grind those 70s, 80s grindhouse action flicks, horror flicks were supposed to be. But yeah. Not a lot of action. Not a lot of action. There's two. Two big action scenes. Yeah, and it takes us about the 45 minute mark before we actually see some action in the movie. Yeah, and it's also totally weird, because I was, wasn't was sure if this was supposed to be an action movie or a horror movie. Yeah. So, where do you want to get started, though? <sighs> do you want to get started with things we liked? Because there are things you can like about this movie. Yeah, I mean... I don't know if you want to jump off maybe to characters, because our main character, Kurt Russell, we don't see till <laughs> like, 20, 30 minutes into the movie. Is, is Kurt Russell's stuntman Mike our main character? I would think so, because, I mean, he just goes through uh, a good chunk of the bar. Yeah. yeah. So it's more <laughs> like their body count versus characters. Because we have two sets of... Girlfriends. Of girlfriends that divide the movie. We have the Austin group and the Tennessee group. Yeah. And the Austin group is made up of uh, Shana, played by Jordan Ladd, Arlene, played by Vanessa Ferlito, and Jungle Julia, played by uh, Sydney Poitier. Mm -hmm. And are they, are they the most uh, non-characters in this movie? Yeah, I mean, we open with them, and we kind of see their dynamic together and their progression from Jungle Julia's apartment to the bar that they go to, and it's just kind of menial conversation. It's just, oh, you forgot to bring the weed. Well, who's going to bring it? I'm not going to supply it. It's just very... Like, you're sitting in the car with them hearing just a random conversation going. Which generally is a very Tarantino thing to do, Yeah, right? and it, it kind of played on uh, the opening sequence of Reservoir Dogs, where they're having the conversation about Like a Virgin. Mm. And we're kind of just listening to everybody contribute to this conversation, but it, it kind of felt like it fell flat. Yeah, I mean, be, well, in Reservoir Dogs, we said a lot that Like a Virgin conversation, 
helped establish not only the dynamic of the group, but also a little bit of character mm -hmm. for everyone. Whereas this, it was a lot more of just, hey guys, I'm Tarantino. I can write dialogue. So I'm going to write this dialogue yeah. sequence. Because it doesn't feel like it contributes to the story, really. No. And that's kind of like a lot of the dialogue in this. Because it's still Tarantino dialogue. Yeah. Ultra-naturalistic. There's some snappy bits. There's some comedy woven in. But it's... The dialogue just goes on and on and on. And it also has another Tarantino-ism that doesn't really show up in a lot of his earlier movies. But definitely shows up in his later movies. And that's very long and deliberate scenes where the scenes don't just cut to the action or cut to the point. They they play out. They're, they unfold. Yeah. And you're on the ride with the character. And you're just seeing this whole conversation and this whole set piece just unfurl before your eyes but the problem is these characters aren't interesting enough for us to want to watch that no so if anything it felt more like it just dragged yeah and i mean we don't get anything exciting until kurt russell is introduced into the movie which he's introduced what like 20 30 minutes in about 30 minutes in when he meets rose mcgowan at the bar yeah pam pam and it's a and it's really interesting because he's you know, Kurt Russell, mm -hmm. incredibly charming, and they're at that bar all fucking night. Yeah. That's what it feels like. How, how long were they supposed to be in there? I don't think there was any set plans after the bar. I think it, this is just like their Friday night thing where, hey, we're going to go there and we're there till they close. What? And it's just like, it feels like you're sitting with them in that bar for hours on end. Yeah. It feels like you're spending the night at the bar with them, which... Yeah, you're supposed to build up these characters as somebody, oh, we we like, we want to see prevail, we want to get to know them as characters. And we kind of do. But then Stuntman Mike comes in. With his plate of nachos. Plate of nachos and his uh, uh, soda water and lemon. Mm -hmm. And uh, merges the shit out of them at the 45 minute mark. Yeah, I mean, some stuff happens before he murders them. There, there's a lap dance. There is a lap dance because Jungle Julia is a DJ at a local radio station. Mm, yes, yes. And to mess with her, one of her friends, she decides, hey, if you see us and you recognize us and you recognize my friend, bring her a drink, recite this poem, and she has to give you a lap dance, which is kind of like, oh, fuck, why would you do that to your friend? I mean, I mean also kind of funny, but still. Th I think that's the thing. Because she even gives her the out of, just say you already gave that dance yeah. earlier in the night, yada yada. And I think, you know what, that's that's a funny, you know, gag yeah. to pull on somebody. But then when Stuntman Mike pulls the poem out. Right away, Jungle Julia's like, no, someone already asked her, you're done. But Arlene is like, I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of into the, to the gray fox with the mm -hmm. cool scar. I mean, she is Butterfly. <sighs> Butterfly is attracted to Stuntman Mike. Yes, and is that the longest lap dance in cinema history that's My not a porno? God, that thing went on forever. <laughs> Boo did not appreciate the very, um, very long lap dance. It didn't. I mean, I enjoyed the music, and that's a big part of Tarantino movies that I like. I'm introduced yeah. to new different kinds of music. Or music that I do like, and I don't expect it to be part of the scene. He's very good at the needle drop. So that's what I really appreciated, and the song during the lap dance scene I really liked, so I'm going to have to find it on Spotify and save it. Yeah, that one is stuck in my head. That's the most memorable bit of music from this movie. Yeah. So, music-wise, great. 
but it was just like, is she just going to dance the entire song and that's the scene right there? Uh, yeah, because we watched the entire lap dance until it does that, oh, missing frame or whatever yeah. stuff that these Grindhouse movies kind of got famous for. Yeah. And we just cut to them leaving the bar. I'm like, what What was the after lap dance conversation? Was like, hey, can I get your number? <laughs> can I buy you another uh, soda water? Or, you know, what <laughs> what, what's is going it? on? Yeah, and it's and that that's the other thing because the entire forty five minute lead up is two locations, three, three locations. It's a uh, Julia's apartment, the the car, well the car, yeah, the, yeah, the or, store that they stop at to get um, or it's not even a store, it's a bar, it's another bar. Where yeah, it's like margarita. a cafe or something. Yeah, they get margaritas with friends, and then they end up ultimately at the bar. Yeah, so we're at three locations for the first forty five minutes of the movie. And the bar is 20 to 30 minutes of that. Mm-hmm. And it's cool. Tarantino's there. He's, He's the, the bartender. Bartender Wayne. Kurt Russell gets a lot of comedy bits. Like, you do, in fact, like Stuntman Mike. Yeah, like, I mean, he he's very entertaining. Man attacks the plate of nachos like a bear attacking his kill. It was a good-looking plate of nachos. But yeah, the, the nachos did look top-notch. I would order those, order those nachos, yeah. And... It, it, it is funny because Kurt Russell is, again, putting on the, the Russell charm, and he's super likable. And because I had never seen this movie before, I assume, same with you. Likewise. Did you think we like we were going to follow this group of characters through the movie? Yeah, I kind of thought this would be more of like a cat and mouse kind of game. Like he's going to chase them and take them out one by one. That's yeah. That's what I, I thought. I thought it was gonna be a slasher movie with a car. Yeah, I wasn't expecting the kill that we got, which you know is graphic and intense on its own. But it was just like we needed more in the movie. Yeah, because again, not to besmirch Quentin Tarantino's pacing no. on his films, but this movie is titanically slow. Yeah, and it's only like two hours. I think it's like flat two hours, or, or like ninety minutes. I yeah. I'm not, uh, sure on the runtime, but it's not that long of a movie. It's not crazy long. No. But you really needed to open with some like another like a kill from stuntman Mike, or just something to give him a little bit more intimidation. Something where it's like, oh, he's laying on the charm, and we really don't want the girl to go with him, but she does, and then it's the twist. Oh, he's actually a crazy person, but yeah. we we knew he was a crazy person. We saw the trailer. Yes. But. He does that, and it turns out that he he does this a lot, and he's able to get away with it because he's, you know, sober Sally, and he just kills drunk drivers in his death-proof, uh, death-proof car. And, yeah, like, that's an interesting idea. That is an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. You have this guy in a car that's built on being death-proof. You know, yeah. you can crash it, hit it, do whatever, and he'll always survive. And... Now he's on this Mad Max, you know, chase, um, chasing these, like, four girls. And I thought it was going to be that. It was going to be this long chase movie, and he's going to be, like, the hitcher where, oh, they get strained, and he, like, runs them down. And yeah. It's a slash movie with cars. Yeah. But it's not, because all, all of our main actors, or all of our main characters we have at the beginning of the movie are all dead at the 45-minute mark. Yeah. And then we have a whole new group of actors, which is made up of uh, Zoe Bell, played by Zoe Bell, um, Abernathy, played by Rosario Dawson, and Kim, played by Tracy Thomas, as well as Lee, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. 
and not much better. I mean, I was able to, you know, attach onto them better because we spend a little bit more time with them. They're doing a little bit more versus, okay, we're driving and we're going to the bar. It's like, no, they're models and they're on this way to the shoot and they have, you know, Zoe Bell with them, who is their famous friend. Mm. And it's just, you know, okay, we're traveling by car to get from destination A to destination B. And it's just kind of interesting to see, okay, what is their trip going to be like? How is he going to be intertwined in their story? Yeah, and that's when we find out. Stuntman Mike just picks these people almost at random. Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, stalking them. And, oh, we get the cool shutter thing where he's looking at them through a camera. Mm -hmm. And you had a fucking moment because you were like, that's my camera. Yeah, I really had to pause the movie, Google it, and see what kind of camera he's using because swear that sounded like my shutter on my film camera and i'm like stuntman mike can't be using the same camera that i use it's just not okay and yeah. then i was just like oh he's using a nikon we're good you're team, good team canon all the way well of course of course but yeah so he's stalking them and like this group of characters is i guess more likable but it feels like such a tease following the the previous girls mm -hmm. for so long because I was like, oh, they're the, they're the main characters, and then they all yeah. die. And it's and it's the psycho thing, right? Where they kill Mary and Craig halfway through the, yeah. the movie. And this, I get it, but the execution wasn't there for me. No, and even in Psycho, there's a series of events that happen that keep you going in that small time frame that we get Mary and Craig in the movie. Mm. With this, it's just, all right, I'm picking you guys up. Um... Let's see who can get, you know, score some weed before we get to the bar. And then we hang out at the bar for hours. It's mm. just very kind of like, you know, okay, I'm going to run an errand with my friends and that's it. Yeah. There's no, you know, suspense or build up. It's just kind of like, okay, what's happening next? Yeah. And I also noticed this. Did you notice that there was like a, a shift between the first half and the second half? Because, like, the first half has that really grungy style where everything looks scratched up and it's, like, yeah. oversaturated. It it looks like, I guess, the Planetary Grindhouse movie. Yeah. And then we get to the second half when they're in Tennessee. And it's just clean. It's real clean. It looks like it's shot on, a like, a digital camera. It probably was. It was probably shot on, like, a, just a good film camera. But they completely abandoned the yeah, the grain, the cuts, the, the scratched film. I thought that was weird, too. I thought the entire movie was going to look scratched. Because that first part of the movie with the first kills and everything, he actually had his people scratch the film. So it wasn't a digital overlay of, you know, oh, it's, you know, scratched from being old. It's like, no, those are real scratches and... I love that when they're at the first bar and they're having the margaritas, it kind of skips a little bit. So if someone says a line, the tape skips and it plays it again. It's like, mm. I like feeling like I'm watching an old movie, even though it's set in modern times. Yeah. But I didn't like that we transitioned from that to just digital. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't actually digital, but it's just, it's way too clean and it's kind of off-putting. I mean, I even liked when they switched to black and white. When yeah. he sees the new group for the first time, and it's like seeing Kurt Russell in the car with the slick back hair and the car itself, I'm like that works out perfectly. It's a, a black and white movie. Striking image. Yeah, but then we switch back to color, which is smart because they have Rosario Dawson in a, I think a pink skirt, and you have the the yellow sports car that she's sitting on. 
So aesthetically, it pleases the eye to go from black and white to a color pop, kind of like Wizard of Oz. But it's just a lot is going on. Yeah, and the the whole second half of the movie is just... Because it turns into a car chase, like, right away. Because yeah. Zobel's whole thing is, oh, I want to ride this a white 79 Charger before I go back to Australia or New Zealand or, or what have you. And they're like, oh, we can get that done. And they just, they managed to find a guy who's selling one. They're going to take it for a test drive. And I mean, that car is clean because they pull up to basically a farm. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, they're going to find a Charger that's just... Beat to shit. It's the frame. That's it. No, I mean, this car looks neat on the outside. They flip the rim. Or not the rim, sorry. <laughs> the they, hood. They flip the hood. And it's, it's got just the like, Hemi going. That thing looks like, clean. Wow. Like, this amazing car is just sitting out here in the middle of nowhere. Because they needed to find Excalibur to slay the dragon that is Stuntman Mike. Yeah, and Lee and Kim are able to convince uh, the guy selling the car, can we test drive it without you? And Abernathy's like you know, kind of considered the mom of the group. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't really take too many risks, and they kind of, you know, push her and tell her, you know, oh, you're not down for, you know, any kind of fun. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to join you guys on your, you know, little trip to test drive the car. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's not a test drive. Oh, yeah, they're going out for a joyride. They're going and... out for a joyride with Lee hanging off of the front of the car, holding on by uh, tethers to the inside of the car. Yeah. And they're just going, Woo! And they're having a grand old time. And then Stuntman Mike comes in, and then it gets suspenseful because he's hitting the car. Uh, well, first bells flying all over the place. But I mean, first he's watching them from far away through binoculars, and he's smiling and enjoying seeing them speed around and laugh. And you think, okay, you know, maybe he's going to you know, drive up next to them, rev his engine, and speed off. Mm. No, he's ready to kill again. Yeah. And, and it, it leads into this big car, these two huge car chases. One stuntman, Mike's pursuing them. Then, oh, they spin out, and he's like, ha-ha, you know, got you. And then King comes out and shoots at him, you know, actually hits him. And then he drives away. And then the girls are like, oh, no, now we're going to kill this motherfucker. And then it leads into another, like, 20-something minute car chase. The last half of the movie, I think it's like 30 minutes of just them chasing each other in cars. Yeah. So, okay, you know for a fact it's 45 minutes, that's when Rose McGowan dies, right? That's the half... It was like 44. I'm bumping it up to 45 to be even. Okay. So that's 45. I think we have another like five minutes of like hospital stuff and then... Yeah, and the hospital, what kind of bothered me was they, you know, show him in the hospital. They say, I think, that he like broke a finger. And... Broke his collarbone. Yeah, you know, very minimal injuries compared to how horrific the accident was. Because, man, when they show just the scene of everybody dying and car B... It's just completely brutal. Yeah, and, and he seeing, flips the car like three times. Yeah, seeing how his car ends up, it's like, shit, how can anyone survive that? But the car's death proof, and mm-hmm. he's strapped in. So we hear his minimal injuries, and there's a, there's two detectives that are outside of his room talking to each other. I'm like, you know, basically, he's did it again. And the DA thinks with all the, with all the pieces of the puzzle that they have from the accident night, it's just an accident. It's nothing to do with this line of, you know, accidents that he causes, which I thought, why aren't we getting more intel on this? This should be a bigger play in the story. Yeah, I thought this was, again, another thing where it would be really interesting if we see him, you know, he kills this a lot. Like, if we had him kill the first group and, like, one of them survived, and then he's going on to the second group, 
but it's like, oh, the survivor from the first one has chased him down, and now yeah. there is the third car coming in to save him. And it's, I think that would have been a much more like interesting conceit, or it would have added just more tension, or even backstory. Give yeah. us more information on the accidents that he's caused in the past. Is it a thing that you know he used to be a stuntman and maybe he was let go because he aged out, and he just kind of snapped and decided I'm going to start killing people. I mean, well, it's the Michael Myers thing where you don't know why he's yeah. doing it. He just does it. But I get what you mean because Stuntman Mike is both, he's like mysterious, but you know a lot about him because mm-hmm. he goes on like, these are all the shows I did. You know, this is like the thing I drive. He's very like open when he's yeah. talking to people, at least in the bar for the first half. And and back to like the second half of the movie because, the, you know, the hospital is like a five minute scene. Yeah. So that's 50 minutes. And then this is what, a two hour movie? I think it's like an hour thirty. It's not that long of a movie. Yeah, let me let me double check. Okay, it's it's two hours seven minutes. So forty five minutes is okay. So fifty minutes is the is the bar and and the first group of girls. Mm-hmm. The last thirty of this, or at least the last twenty, is the car chase, right? Yeah. So we have like, an like forty ish minutes establishing our group. Yeah, because we have them in the parking lot. We have him observing the two in the car. Because it's a group of four girls. So two are in um, the gas station. And two are chilling in the car. In the and, car. It's... and we have him kind of figuring out what he's going to do. We see him throw his keys on the floor. So he can kind of, you know, play up. I dropped my keys. That's why I'm outside of my car. And getting close and, and friendly with and these I mean, girls. Also, and... it's like... Did we have to get him licking her feet? That was so cringe. Is it a Tarantino movie? It's a Tarantino then movie. Then yes, you get feet. There was feet. so much feet in this movie. There's a lot of feet in this movie. Again, we should just have a foot count. How many feet are in Tarantino movies? Zero in Reservoir Dogs. Made zero in Reservoir Dogs. But that there's at least like four sets of bare feet in this movie. I mean, even Jungle Julius uh, Billboard's feet. Yeah. It's just feet. Everywhere. None of the girls in this movie were, were like shoes. They all were flip flops or, or barefoot. Or Rosario Dawson with her boots. Yeah, she was barefoot up until that point. Yeah. But besides, besides the point of Tarantino's foot fetish, the the whole thing is the second half of the movie feels like I don't have enough time with these characters to really care. And the first half of the movie is oh, I spend time with these characters and I kind of care about them yeah. and then they die. And it's like, I don't really care about anybody, and mm-hmm. yeah, Stuntman Mike, Kurt Russell, is more interesting than them, but again, we know more about him, and we're a little bit more invested in what's going on with him, because he's the only holdover through the entire movie, he's our through line. And also, like, the dialogue scenes are kinda meh, they're yeah. kinda bad. Yeah. Is that on purpose? Actually, I gotta question, is this movie bad on purpose? It could be. I mean, I don't know. It's just, after seeing it, it's like, I could see so many different directions they could have taken this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, give us more backstory on uh, Stuntman Mike. Really make us feel like we know the character. Or not even that, just make him more intimidating. More like... menacing, you know. We feel like, kind of like Jaws. Because he kind of played it like Jaws when we first see the car. When Butterfly's going into the first bar, and he's just mm-hmm. sitting on the street watching her. It's like you could have done a thing where the car just keeps popping up in different places. That would have been interesting if we don't get the reveal it's Kurt Russell until, like, the end of the movie. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, even if we know it's Kurt Russell, you know, have it more where the car is just 
stalking its victims. And it's just, it'll roll by, well, was that the car? And, you know, sun goes through, oh, no, it's a different person, but the same build of the car. Yeah. Just, just kind of, you know, play up the suspense a little bit more, but I don't know. I don't know if they, you know, if he intentionally tried to make it like this. I mean, I assume he was, this was the movie he was intending to make. I think he, I guess that, okay, the director's vision, we'll we'll title that, this section, the director's vision, because Tarantino's got a fucking vision for this movie. What do you think was the, was the goal? It was supposed to be like, I, because I think he was trying to homage, like, the 70s, 80s, like, schlocky horror thriller fast movie. cars pretty women yeah fast cars pretty women cheap thrills yeah and um, i'm like okay if that's what he's going for pretty girls sure fast cars yeah mm-hmm. thrills yeah we got those but does it come together as a cohesive movie not really it just falls a little flat because, I mean, it takes us forever to get the action, and then it dies back down again, and then we get it back again. I think it needed to be more consistent. I mean, not like a slasher movie where you have a kill every five minutes, but something to kind of keep us going. I think, that's another thing. Is this supposed to be a horror film or an action film? Or, or I mean, because I think I it's, mean, it's a thriller, most and foremost, but it feels like he wants to make a horror film. Or it's expected to be a slasher flick with a guy in a car, and it turns into an action movie. Yeah, I mean, Grindhouse, I assume I assume it's going to be horror. Yeah. And it's just, it's like we kind of get that, but not really at the same time. So it's like, if anything, it's more of like an action suspense kind of movie. Yeah, and it's really sad because, you know, I love Tarantino yeah, movies. Yeah, same. And this... I can see a lot of Tarantino in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to say it's a bad movie, but it's not great. It's oh. it's definitely his worst movie. I think we can both agree that this is his worst film. Yeah, I mean, it had cool stuff in it. Stuff that I could appreciate. The, you know, the aesthetics, the music, uh, the POV of Kurt Russell driving. You Kurt know, Russell's acting is Kurt, good. Kurt Russell's acting, the the play on colors and the, the film mm-hmm. scratches. Yeah, you know, there's a lot that I can appreciate in this movie, but story-wise, it just didn't really cut it for me. I, I can agree with that. It's like all the aesthetic stuff mm-hmm. is really cool, but like the actual plot of the movie is just so bleh. Yeah. And the, I don't want to besmirch the actors. I no. want to make them feel bad, but some of them... I ain't gonna name names, aren't really that good in the movie. No, and... I don't know if they're, like, phoning it in or they were just not, um... not really vibing on the Tarantino-isms. That, and, you know, it kind of goes with slasher movies where these people are just bodies and they're not characters. It's just like, okay, here's, you know, a group of people that you could just mow down and you don't really feel anything towards them. Yeah, but the problem is, is this is so non-slashery. I know. That's why it's just kind of like, what's going on here? It's, it's really totally confused. Yeah. Man. I know. You win some, you lose some. I mean, Tarantino has a lot of great movies. He really does. He really, really does. Um, but b- before we go on to the next movie, which is going to be the most successful one, any last big thoughts on Death Proof? Because, you know, this is a short conversation, but... You know, we watched the whole two-something-hour movie. Yeah. 
Any any thoughts on it? Any last closing arguments? Hmm. Very aesthetically pleasing for kind of, you know, art film kind of lovers. You think so? I think so. You do you think it's like take takes like the, the artsy guy to make a to make a homage movie to schlocky stuff? No, it's just it feels very artsy the way it's shot, the different kind of I'll look at this because even I can't think of something good to say. <laughs> I'm keeping that in, but um, you, you, you just to... got nothing. No. Um... You want you want to you want to have a final like thing to redeem the movie, but it's just not there. I I think I'm gonna stick with the aesthetics. That's gonna be my best of the movie. I think that's kind of what saves it for me because it's very artistic. Mm-hmm. There's you know. Lots of visual things to see in the movie, even though it just drags. He Tarantino's vision is on screen. Yeah. Yeah, I'll agree. His vision is on screen. It's just, my God, it is just such a slog to get through. Yeah, and I mean, when we saw the trailer, I was kind of like, oh man, this is a Dean movie. He's going to love it. He's going to be excited. And, you know, watching it, I was just kind of like, I mean, I think we both would have loved it more if there was just more kills, more chases. If if there Something. was just less of the less of the monotonous ten twenty minute dialogue sequences between characters that don't cut. Yeah. And there was there was less than that, and more of just Kurt Russell stalking his prey and being more like mysterious and more tension filled. Totally down. I could see a cut of this movie that's, like, really good. Yeah. But that, unfortunately, ain't here, so... We move on to the next. We move on to the next movie. Our next movie, though, is parallel to this. The most successful Tarantino film. And I don't mean, you know, by by gut feeling, by opinions. I mean by the numbers. Not even by pop culture? Uh, No, not by pop culture. Okay. All right. I had to think about it. So, this next movie, it's Tarantino's most successful films in in terms of money, in terms of Oscars won, and in terms of how many Jamie Foxes you can fit into a film. And that's Django Unchained. And I'm really excited. I've seen this movie before. It's super fun. It's a really cool movie. I think it actually has a pretty strong visual element to it that shows Tarantino's a really good director. Mm Mm-hmm. It also pissed Spike Lee off, but hey, that's pretty easy to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, have you ever seen it before? Are you excited? I've never seen it. I'm very excited to watch it. Uh, when you were doing the numbers and figuring things out, I really thought Kill Bill or Pulp Fiction was going to be his most successful movie. So it it will get into the more detailed reasons as to why Django won out on our on the next episode. Well, I mean, I remember that Oscar season. I mean, Django was huge. Yeah, it it was nominated for like five different things. It won two Oscars. It uh basically propelled Christoph Waltz. Well, yeah. Christoph Waltz had only been in Glorious Bastards at that yes. point, but that was Tarantino's follow to Glorious Bastards, which everyone thought was the best movie. Yeah, but again. We're going to get into why Django and Shane won out, and it basically is because it made a shit ton of fucking money. Well, I'm excited to finally watch it. Me too. But if they wanted to, you know, listen to us talk about it, where can they go? Well, if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. 
and you can find our YouTube channel in the frame. That's right, our YouTube channel in the frame on YouTube.com. Who would have thought? Who would have known? Yeah, subscribe, comment, like, do whatever you do. But with that, any last words? We'll see you next week at the film club. Have a good week, everybody.